right. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Dwight. Amazing. So glad you're here. Thanks so much. I clap for bubble tea, but no thanks. <laughs> so Nelson, just to let you know, nobody responds. To, I'm, I'm looking down. I don't even want to look at people. Um, nobody responds to anything here. And uh, when you when you bubble tea, um, you got you got the crowd excited this morning. So uh, on a week that we're diminished in number, I just want to let you know I'm thankful for whoever's here. Whoever's not here, I'm really not thankful for. Um, so really thankful for you. Um, Whoever's late, uh, I'm thankful for you too. I'm here to be thankful for you. So, um, you know what? Living in the West Island uh, really stinks sometimes because uh, you're looking for the good news of the 720 being open from the 15. And, like, you just feel like you hit the lottery if you do that. Um, and it never is. So, we thought that Quebec would be gracious and actually open that up uh, this weekend because they're so thankful. But no, they closed it and actually made it more hard uh, or harder. My English is getting going this morning. So, uh, you know what? Let me pray. I'm going to pray because we're in the book of John. We're done talking about sex, I think, uh, for a little while. Uh, So we just did Sextember, um, and we got a good response uh, from that. And so I want to say that if there's anything that came out of that series uh, that you're struggling with, dealing with, have more questions about, uh, we're here for that. We want to we talk to you about that. We want to explore whatever the questions are, the difficulties or misunderstandings or anger, because some of you might still be like, man, I'm really angry about this. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. Not great that you're angry, but let's talk about that so that we can actually work through it. So, uh, so I'm going to pray. Uh, praying is really uh, talking to God. Um, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, uh, told Timothy, his disciple, don't neglect public prayer. So if you're like, uh, we already prayed, I think, twice already, that's great. Uh, the Bible tells us in the New Testament not to neglect it because we don't want to neglect talking to uh, our dad. Or if he's not your dad, we believe God is a father um, and that he's a personal father. Um, but if he's not yet your dad, he, he's a God who says, I, I'm open to that. I want to be your father. So I want to pray to him and then we'll get going. God, thank you that we can call you dad. Thank you that you love Taiwan. Thank you that you love Quebec. You love the rest of Canada. I I am thankful for the people who aren't here this morning and as they're enjoying uh, Thanksgiving uh, with their families uh, away, wherever that that is. Uh, I pray that that you would be the hero in that household. I pray that as um, students go home to be in houses where their family doesn't follow you, they don't love you, pray that this would be a weekend where you'd open their hearts and eyes and ears to see, hear, and understand who you really are. Um, I pray uh, for those who are in here hurting this morning that, that this would be encouraging. I pray for those of us who are, are proud this morning. I pray that you would humble us. Uh, and I pray that you would do whatever you need to do so that your people here in this city would be reached. I pray that you would help us to see that you are the God that is moving in front of us, that we're behind you getting to, to follow you and whatever it is that you want for us to do. So we love you. Would you speak to us through uh, this text this morning? And we need you for everything. Amen. Great, so we're in the book of John. Uh, John is a book in the New Testament, fourth book in Matthew, Mark, Luke. John tells about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so we've been tracking through the book of John for most of the year. Uh, it's been interspersed with a September series and a leader series, which we'll do our, I think, final piece, or maybe we have one more, but we'll do our final piece next week. Um, and, and wrap that up because that's really important. Uh, but we've been tracking through the book of John. 
Uh, John's 21 chapters written by the guy named John. It's really easy. If you write a book, just call it John, right? So they know that it's you. John was Jesus's best friend, as far as we can tell. Uh, he refers to himself as a beloved disciple uh, all throughout the book. Uh, he doesn't want to name himself in that place. Uh, he just writes that in. Uh, and so that's who we're hearing from. And he loves Jesus, crazy about Jesus. And so this week is actually really important. We're in John chapter 15 and 16. This is the largest chunk of text we're going to cover in the book of John. It's a lot, uh, but we're not, we're not going to be able to hit it all, all right? So we're going to do as much as we can in this. Uh, but it's important because for Jesus, death is imminent, like a few days away, right? Maybe less than a day away, okay? We're not quite sure exactly where John 15, 16 fits in, but it's very, very close to the end of Jesus' life. This is really his last conversation with his disciples who have been tracking with him for upwards of three, three and a half years at this point. And the focus of this conversation is going to be, what does God want? What does God want? And that's really important for us, right? If you're in any sort of relationship, you want to know what they want. Uh, this is why we do vows. What do they want? What are they vowing to do to me? What am I vowing to be to them? This is why employers and employees have interviews and they have job uh, contracts and job descriptions because an employee should know what an employer wants from them. Same thing with family. Uh, kids should know what, what parents want. Parents don't need to know what kids want. They just do what they want because we're adults. We can stay up and eat ice cream late if we want to. Okay? But the focus is, what does God want? What does God want? So Jesus is going to unpack this this morning. And he does it with a vineyard illustration. Okay, Jesus talks about the vine. For us, if you think of vineyard, you think maybe Napa Valley. Uh, maybe you think Ontario because they do some wine stuff there as well. Uh, but vineyard is almost lost in us because not many of us have vineyards in our backyard and we understand all of the uh, agriculture and vineyardness. I'm just trying to make up a word uh, in that moment. Uh, we don't understand all of that stuff necessarily unless you grew up there or you have a desire uh, to, to do that stuff. And so Jesus is going to use this vineyard illustration, and I hope to use it all throughout the sermon as well. So John 15 and 16, two chapters this morning, Church 21 gathering. Here we go. Bubble tea. Exciting. Yes. All right, here we go. Reality. Jesus lays down the reality of what's going on. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, so here we have two characters, Jesus and the father. Okay, I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser, the one that takes care of all the things around the vine. Now, here's what we believe. I feel like it's important for me to just get our beliefs out on the table. Uh, we believe that there's only one God. We are not polytheists, okay? We're monotheists. We believe that there's one God. But within that one God, we believe that there exists three persons. We believe that there's the father, believe that there's the son, being Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, who we'll hear about later on but yet one God. And you're like, I don't know, my brain hurts already. That's okay. Uh, some of the greatest commentators and um, Bible theologians said, you know, the Trinity, this is what we call it, the Trinity is so simple that a child can understand it, yet so complex that if you think about it for too long, you'll go crazy. So one God, three persons, yet one God. One, three, and one all at the same time. Happy Thanksgiving. This is great, okay? But this is a reality. And then Jesus says this about us. I am the vine and you are the branches. 
So the people of God are the branches connected to the vine. And what do we know about branches? Well, my kids play with branches all the time, but they don't play with the branches up in the tree. They play with the branches on the ground. Now, how many of us would say that those branches on the ground are alive? All right, good. Sane, sober people, I think, this morning. So branches on the ground, dead, lifeless. They're fun to hit your brother or sister with. They're fun to trip people with. They're fun to throw at squirrels or try and beat the black squirrels that are destroying our backyards. Okay, that's all legit, all right? Those are good, right? No, but there's no life in that. There's no life there. Those, those are dead branches, so I, I don't think that Jesus is speaking about us in that way, that you're just dead laying on the ground. But he's saying, you're branches that are in me. You're branches that are alive and, and living. And I don't just mean alive physically, like breathing, heartbeat, pulse, uh, eyes blinking, that alive. I mean spiritually alive. Knowing God, being in touch with God, being in relationship with God. So, I'm the vine, my father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. Now, why would someone have a vineyard? Why would you ever plant a vineyard? Probably not so you have dead vines hanging out everywhere, right? You probably would plant a vineyard so that you have fruit, so that you have results. And this is actually what Jesus says God the Father did. He's planted this vineyard for fruit. And here it is, John 15, verse 8. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the father plants this vineyard and God is glorified, right? He has made famous the weightiness and amazingness and awesomeness of who God is, is revealed as much fruit is being born through the branches. And also as these branches are bearing fruit, they're showing or we're showing that we are disciples of the vine. We're connected, we're bought in, we're grafted in. We are one with the vine. So God is glorified by, by fruit. But how does this fruit show up? How does this fruit show up? Well, John 15, five says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. And here's what we didn't read. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding is the only way to bear fruit. That's it. We've already, we've already said that dead branches can't bear fruit. It's not like, ah, oh, look at that little stick that once tripped Jimmy from next door. Look, oh, now it's, now it's sprouting apricots. This is so amazing. That doesn't happen. The only way for that branch to bear fruit is if somehow it could be put back into a living tree. Jesus says very plainly, you can do nothing apart from me. I love Jesus' bluntness. So often when we talk about spiritual things, we're vague. Oh yeah, maybe we'll be like caught up someday, maybe one day into a tree, or maybe we'll do, there's this, there's this very strange uh, mystical, and, and mystical isn't bad, but it's very strange. And, and I leave from spiritual conversations often with people saying, I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea. Because there's so much mystery and subjectiveness wrapped up in whatever is being spoken about. And Jesus just comes right out and says, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. No fruit apart from me. You're just like a branch laying on the ground. 
And why I want to emphasize this so much at the beginning is because this is the very heart of Christianity. It's not like we go around to our neighbors saying, hi, I'm, I'm Christian Dwight. Um, just want to let you know that unless you're a branch part of the vine of Jesus, you can do nothing. Happy Thanksgiving. You know, here's a pumpkin, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying, but this is the very heart of Christianity, everything that we're talking about in this illustration. Because Christianity is not this set of beliefs primarily that we adhere to or turn on or we sign some sort of covenant saying, yes, I will believe these nine tenets. That's not what Christianity is primarily. Christianity is abiding in Jesus. Christianity is moving in to Jesus. In John chapter one, Jesus was calling disciples to himself and, and he was saying, stay with me. Same word as abide. But Jesus is saying basically, stay around me, hang around me, see what this is about, right? But the trajectory is move from come to me, it moves from come to me and it moves to move into me. Move into me, come into me. This is what Christianity is, us abiding in Jesus. And this is where it gets mystical, right? So this is where there's a lot of poetry in the Bible. Psalm 1 talks about a tree planted and, and its roots are benefiting from this, this river, which is the good news of God, right? So it's mystical language trying to communicate this same type of thing that we are to abide in God, and we can abide in God. Uh, we're gonna do something today. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, we would invite you to do this. Um, we take communion, uh, bread right there, okay, on that little table. Uh, wine and juice is there, okay? And this is mystical because Jesus says that I want for you to eat and drink in remembrance of me. And so in a sense, when we take of communion and we break off the bread and we dip it in the wine and we consume Jesus, that bread is becoming one with us. We're, we're showing a symbol, a very mystical symbol that we are united with Christ. And it's not like the bread all of a sudden becoming Jesus and swimming down your throat into your belly. It's not that, right? It's, it's very symbolic, okay? that we're consuming Jesus and reminding ourselves that, ah, yes, when I consume Jesus, I lose control. He, he is the one who is in all control. And so we do this every week to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. So this is the heart of Christianity. We move into Jesus, but here's the problem, okay? The problem is that you can't move in on your own. You don't just get to say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to move into you. You have to be chosen. So let's think about this tree or vine branch analogy. The branch laying there on the ground isn't like, hey, vine, if you want to, you know, I'm ready for you. Come and get me. I'm ready to bear fruit. That doesn't happen, right? The same is true uh, with us. Here's what John 15, 16 says. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, right? should last so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We must be chosen. You're like, well, how do I know if I'm chosen or not? Well, here's how you know. John 15, 9 says, as the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is a command, but an invitation. So how do I know that I'm chosen? Well, do you abide in Jesus? Have you responded to Jesus? Have you said, yes, Jesus, I want all in on you. That's how we know we're chosen. 
Verse 13 in John 15 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, you've never seen love like this. It doesn't matter what romantic comedy you've watched. It doesn't matter what show you're watching. This is the greatest act of love that I would lay my life down for you and invite you to be brought in to me. This is what the gospel is. This is the good news, that we as branches laying on the ground dead don't need to hop ourselves up through religion or discipline into the tree and somehow convince the tree that we're worthy of being there. But rather, here's what Jesus does. Follow the analogy, okay? The true vine, being Jesus, leaves heaven, this eternal vineyard where where he is the ruler, where he is reigning over everything, rightfully so. He leaves that place and he comes down into his creation and he wears flesh. So the true vine comes into our world and he comes to only dead branches. There aren't any living trees that are like, hey, we've been waiting for another vine to come along. This is the only vine. This is the true vine. And he comes down to dead branches. And what he does, instead of saying, ha, 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 I'm alive, you're dead, you have no hope, I'm the only hope, I'm leaving soon, peace. Doesn't do that. He comes and he lays his life down for the dead branches. Not because of anything that the dead branches did. Not because of anything we did to show Jesus our worthiness, that you should come and lay your life down for me. He does that completely on his own accord. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. And he loves this world that he would come and lay down his life for us. And then the vine, after being crucified, wearing the sin and shame and guilt of these dead branches, us, after he's crucified three days later, he rises from the grave. He's a living vine that can never be killed, never be chopped down. And he offers life and he invites dead branches, come into me, come abide in me, come be grafted in to me and find your life, your value, meaning, purpose in me. Let it come through me. Let me nourish you, right? Because as a dead branch comes into a living tree, it could receive life only because of the the vine, only because of the tree. And this is what the gospel is. And he cleans us and he brings us in union with himself, that we get to be brought into union with Jesus. And then we get to bear fruit. When God created man and woman, he said, uh, be fruitful. Go, multiply, be fruitful, right? The man wasn't thinking, oh, how am I gonna go be fruitful by myself? What, what is that a call to? I mean, basically it's a call to, hey, go fill the earth with little people, right? Go make babies, fill the earth, take dominion, have fun doing it. Be amazing, right? Be fruitful. But being fruitful couldn't take place just by a male or just by a female. They had to work together in this. And this is what's falling into the illustration, right? No one expects a branch to bear fruit on its own. So Jesus brings the branch into himself. He brings us into union with him. This is amazing. Why would a living vine want anything to do with dead branches? Well, because he made you. He made me intentionally. We've been talking a lot about this through our sex series. You've been intentionally made for for a purpose. You're not an accident. It doesn't matter what your parents thought. 
right? You're not an accident. God brought you here for a very specific reason. And he wants for you to be abiding in him and he wants to produce fruit through you. And he wants for this fruit to last. Check this out. Uh, John 15, 16, we, we walk through the chosen part at the beginning, but it says, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It should last. It should last. It shouldn't rot. It shouldn't pass away. It shouldn't be temporary that this fruit that we're producing will last. Look at what Paul wrote uh, to the church in, in Rome. Okay, likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So you belong to Jesus now, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So Jesus was raised, we belong to him so that we may bear fruit. Here's what he says in verse five. While we were living in our flesh, so dead branches on the ground, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So there's two fruit that are being born. Either for death, like death is producing more death. Okay, death doesn't produce fruit that then leads to death. What Paul is saying is that death is gonna lead to death. That's all. So we have that invitation to keep doing what you're doing, but just know it's going to, arrive in an eternal death, but there's an invitation out of that. There's an invitation to be grafted in to this vine, to be able to bear fruit. And God isn't looking to use people. Oh, who can I use for my agenda? But his agenda is the best. His agenda is the best, that his fame would be seen throughout all of the earth, throughout all of our galaxies, throughout all of the universe, whatever lies beyond there, but that his glory would be seen in our hearts, that his, his weightiness and amazingness would be seen in our cities. And so we as branches are like beloved conduits that he nourishes and cares for. And as branches, he carries us as well, right? The branch isn't propping itself up. The branch is being propped up completely by the tree, by the vine. And so God is flowing into his branches, formerly dead, now alive in Christ, to bear fruit. And that's what the Lord wants for all of us, convinced of it, that he wants for all people, all tongues, tribes, colors, hairstyles, whatever, languages. He wants all people to be brought into this vine and to bear fruit and fruit that will last. So we'll spend the rest of our time talking about what is the fruit that God wants to produce through us, and I think there's two aspects that we see in Scripture. Uh, before I do that, let me just say, simple definition for fruit is uh, something that's there now that wasn't there before. Okay, that's a very simple definition, right? Fruit is something that's there now that wasn't there before. And so this is the type of fruit that God wants to press in uh, to us and through us. So the two aspects of fruit, simply this. God wants fruit from the world. God wants fruit from the world. There's, there's a missionary thrust to this, this text. Okay, we heard about it this morning. I believe we're all missionaries sent into our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our families to declare and demonstrate the good news of who Jesus is, but that some are to go to foreign lands, which is what we heard about. But we're all missionaries, right? We, we spend all our time being on mission. And so here's what Jesus is saying is that I want fruit from the world. 
Listen to John 15, 26 and 27. When the helper, being the Holy Spirit, which we spoke about already, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he's gonna bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So fruit from the world, how does it arrive? Uh, If you're part of the church, not meaning just church 21, uh, but you're part of the church, meaning that you are a follower of Jesus who said, Jesus, your death on the cross was for me. Your resurrection was for me. You're my only hope. You're my only vine. If that's you, one time you were of the world. That one time you were a dead branch and you've been brought in. You've been made new. And now the spirit is dwelling inside of you. And he says, I want to tell everyone about Jesus. You ever feel that tension knowing that, yeah, deep down, I really want to speak about who Jesus is. I want to show people who he is, but ah, there's fear. Ah, there's, there's approval issues. Ah, there's dad issues. Ah, there's all these things that arise up that seem to block this. That's the spirit saying, I want, I want to push through those things because I want to demonstrate and declare through you how beautiful Jesus is. I heard a preacher one time say that if the Holy Spirit had a bedroom, he would have Jesus posters all over it, right? The Holy Spirit is crazy about making Jesus known. And he wants to do that through us. But here's the reality of the world. The world is not like, you know, the globe primarily. The world is in opposition to God. So the opposition to God is is what we see as the world. Here's what Jesus says about the world. It says the world will hate us because of the vine. He'll hate followers of, the world will hate followers of Jesus because of Jesus. Listen to this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, if you were in opposition to me, okay, the opposition to me would love you as its own. But because you are not of the opposition, but I chose you out of the opposition, therefore the opposition hates you. Whoever hates me hates my father also. This is why religions aren't all the same. Just because you say you have a God does not mean that it's, we're talking about the same thing. Because if, if Jesus, and I'm saying this respectfully, okay, but if Jesus isn't God in your religion or systematic belief, we're talking about two different things. We really are. Because Jesus says, if, if you hate me, you hate the Father also. And we see later on throughout Scripture that, that we're seeing that if we're not likening Jesus to the Father, meaning giving him the proper due and fame, calling him God, then this isn't really understanding who he is. So whoever hates me hates my Father also. Jesus says later on in John 16, They will put you out of the synagogues. This is talking to a Jewish audience. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. There are people in the world killing in the name of God thinking that it's right. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere does God call for his people today to go out and kill people in the name of him. Nowhere. You can't find that. There's no holy war. There's no holy war. The holy war is for the hearts of people who are far from God. Do you know what God did? 
Through Jesus, he opened up the heart of a Christian killer named Paul. Christian killer. Man, if God's gonna smote or smite anyone, it should have been Paul. What does he do? He comes to him, he wrecks his world, beats him up, you know, taps him out, and helps him see who he really is. And then Paul goes on to tell the world of Jesus. And most of the New Testament is written by him. God doesn't go out and kill people. God is patient. He's steadfast with love. He's pursuing people in opposition to him so that he can rescue and transform them and send them back out full of the spirit of God. See, God's heart is to rescue through the witness of his branches. That's God's heart. To rescue people through the witness of us. That we would be the ones that declare and demonstrate that this is a legit work. This is who I was before. I was a dead branch before. And that story can look like a whole host of things. I was an addict to drugs. I was an addict to religion. I was an addict to moralism. I was an addict to pride. I was an addict to money, right? Every story primarily comes down to the fact that we're addicted to rebellion against God. And the good news is that God comes for all of us addicts and brings him into himself. And he calls us to abide in him, And that this fruit that's coming from us is a fruit that's different from the world completely. This is what we'll talk about in just a second. This fruit is so different from the rest of the world. But I want to end this first point of God seeks out the fruit from the world by saying that it's us branches that declare and demonstrate that the vine is the only vine. And I get it. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I would love for someone else to do all this work. Right? We won't raise our hands, but how many of us would love for someone else to do all of the work of rescuing people? And we can just celebrate. Like we'll even give more money. Uh, we'll serve uh, you know, in obscurity somewhere. Uh, we'll, we'll do anything, but don't make me go and bear witness. And if that's our heart, here's, here's the push, okay? It's not a guilt push. It's not a shame push. The push is to push deeper into who Jesus is. Because the Spirit wants to tell everyone. Why? Because the Spirit really knows who Jesus is. And if if what's keeping you from declaring and demonstrating who Jesus is, is comfort issues, I'm really comfortable in what I do. Uh, It makes me uncomfortable in talking about this. Then you need to begin seeking Jesus as your only comfort. Begin praying and begging and fasting. Jesus, would you show me that you are my comfort so that I don't need to find comfort from my neighbor approving of me. I don't need to find comfort in my house. I don't need to treat my house as a a refuge, a retreat center. I can treat my house like a hospital where I see people coming in hurt and broken and you keep healing them. Right? This is what the Spirit wants to do. And I'm not saying not to use your house as a place of refuge. We need to take a break. We need rest. We need to get away. Jesus does that. But what Jesus does is he gets up earlier than everyone else. He's not looking for, a, just leave me alone so I can be restful. He says, well, you all get up early, so I'm going to get up way earlier than you and find refuge in my Father and minister out of that. Do you realize why so many people get up early in the morning? If you read biographies about um, people who have done significant things uh, for, for Jesus, uh, seen countries turn, uh, one similar thing to all of them is that they get up really early before everyone else and they're praying and devouring scripture. 
Those are the three things that are in common. And the fourth thing is they tell people. But they don't work thinking that their words are gonna do anything. Their work is already done in prayer, fasting, and begging God to rescue these people they're gonna go and talk to. That's where the work happens. So this isn't my call for us all to get up early, right? That's not my call. Um, but you should think about it. You should think about, man, if my coworkers are getting up at, at 7 a.m. and they're waking up with money on their mind, they're waking up with success, I'm gonna get up at 6 a.m. and I'm gonna beg for God to give me opportunities today that God would see, that I would see God as, as, as my comfort, as my approval, as my power, as my refuge, so that I would be free to be able to go and not speak abstractly about Jesus, but man, this is what's really going on with me. That this should be natural and normal, but it's not natural or normal, and that's why the spirit enters in and makes it supernatural. And you're like, I'm an introvert. Well, most of the people who have reached nations were also introverts. That's kind of crazy too. So fruit from the world, God is a God of mission. And, and lastly, secondly, same thing today. Um, fruit isn't just for the world, but is in you as well. Fruit inside of the individual and inside of the church is something that God wants to produce. John 16, uh, verse, oh, I forgot to do that one, that's okay. Uh, John 16, 12, 15 Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, right? He's leaving tomorrow. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit is coming to do the hard work of producing fruit inside of individuals and the church. And the Spirit does this eternal work in the branch. So you are a branch. I am a branch. We are all branches, right? Amazing. What did you learn today? I am a branch. So wonderful. Uh, the Spirit does internal work inside of the branch. Let me read you a, a passage from Galatians, okay? Book in the New Testament written by Paul says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, this is who we used to be. Sexual immorality, we dealt with that the past few weeks. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. You know what gets me about these passages? Is the person who's jealous is like, well, at least I'm not as bad as the sorcerer or the person having orgies. And it's like, oh no, Paul puts you in the same category, right? Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. If your life is a dead branch and you're seeking for life and dead things, you're not gonna turn into life. It's not two negatives becoming a positive in that moment. Paul is saying, you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. But here we go, here's the good news. But the fruit of the spirit, right? What God wants to do in us and through us, it's love. This is one fruit, these are characteristics of these, this fruit, is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If you belong to Christ, that first list, crucified, done. You won't find life there. This is what's going to 
come out of us as branches now. These are radically different lists. Well, I think all religions are basically the same. All worldviews are the same. You cannot put these lists next to each other and say they're the same thing. They're radically different. And you cannot summon up the courage for this list. How many of you have tried really hard to be patient? Uh, yeah, yeah, good luck, right? I've said things like this, okay? I'm, I'm a pastor. I should, I should knock it out of the park and everything. I think I'm a pastor because I need the gospel more than everyone else, right? I feel like I blow it more than everyone. So the Lord's like, you're gonna get up and speak about how you blow it all the time so that you can minister the gospel uh, to people's hearts. But patient, I look at one of my children and they're really hard to be patient with. Oh, they're really hard. Uh, most people in my life are hard for me to get along with. It's everyone else's fault, not mine, right? If you guys would just shape up, uh, then everything would be well in my world. No, but often we're around people that are really hard to be around. And so you say, okay, today I'm gonna really love them and be patient with them. And then you suck, right? You do not get it right. You are so impatient. You say something ridiculous and you're like, ah, I can't even get this right. I remember being in secondary school I decided at the age of 16, okay, I didn't become a Christian then. I decided that I was going to become a moralistic follower of Jesus. I just termed it Christian. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to start uh, without saying F words, right? I'm going to remove that word from my, from my vocabulary. That lasted like three minutes, right? And then like, because I was so upset, it came again. And it, I couldn't do that. And so in my mind, because I could not... I had a horrible mouth, right? Because I could not change my vocabulary. I'm like, ah, oh, God would never want me. And I left for six years, just thinking I can't shape up for God. But then six years later, I, I found out that God wants to bring me into himself. And he's not primarily concerned about changing my mouth. He wants my heart, and when he gets your heart, oh, then your mouth begins to change. But God doesn't start with religion. He starts with a heart transplant. He gives you a new heart, new desires, new mind. And then everything begins to change and we're bearing fruit. We're doing this stuff. That a, a branch on the ground does not say, tree, I'm gonna show you how good I can be. I'm gonna bear fruit. And then when you see that I'm the greatest stick of all, you're gonna bring me up into your tree and show me glory. Never happens, but that's what religion and disciplines teach us. Religion says that if you can just do good enough and not do the bad things, then God will look down on you and bring you into his tree. And that's the opposite of the gospel. That's moralism. That's be a good boy or girl and the Father in heaven will love you so much. But the gospel is like, you're horrific. If your words aren't F words, they're all in your heart, right? If, if your words are kind, there's anger in there and God wants to replace this with a new heart and bear fruit. But it can only happen through abiding. It can only happen through abiding. The only way that you can get organic Trinity fruit is through abiding in the vine, we're all like, ah, I like organic. You're waking up like bubble tea, you know? Like uh, the only way organic Trinity fruit comes is through abiding in him. That's it. God's not calling you to work really hard to love people. He's saying, abide in me and you will love people. Abide in me and you will be patient because it's not gonna be about the branch. 
man, I wish that this tire swing hanging on me would get it right. It's not about the branch. It's about the tree and what the vine wants. Significant changes. And when these changes take place, do you know who looks like this? God. This is God. God is love and joy. God is a joyful God. God is peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is God. You are beginning to look more like God. That's his plan for you. That when the world looks at you, church, they would say, oh my God. And you can't, you're not gonna be God. It's not like this deification of the church. But they're beginning to say, ah, I thought the church was this. I, I was running next to a guy uh, yesterday, kind of a creepy story, but I caught up to him and I just started a conversation with him. I was gonna pass him and show him how awesome I was, but I felt like I should talk to him in that moment. And I'm talking to him and I'm like, what do you do? And he tells me what he does. And he's like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I start churches, right? And I'm like, is he gonna just bail now? And he's like, that's interesting. Like, yes. And I begin to explain to him what the church is. And he's like, so how's that going for you? You know, like, how many people are believing that? I'm like, well, it's slow, but it's happening. And he's like, well, that sounds really amazing. Right, because when people get to hear about what the church really is, and they get to see the fruit of the church, then they want it. And not so they can belong to some club, but because if, if this is what the church looks like, and the church is still broken, but the church is beginning to resemble what God looks like, then we want God. We want him. This is why fruit is so important. This is how we were made to be. This is how we were made, and this is what we're being transformed into. God isn't taking like a little clicker thing. He's obsessed with numbers. Uh, we went to the food truck thing at the end of the summer that they have outside of um, old Expo Stadium, um, Olympic Stadium, I prefer Expo Stadium. Um, but people stood with clickers and they're just counting numbers so they can report like 3,500 people came and ate our things today. That's not God. God isn't satisfied with just clicking numbers. He's saying like, I want everyone and I want everyone to look like me. God is obsessed with having all peoples in his presence. And he wants to show a, 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 a dead branch world that there's so much hope. And we don't hang in the tree, you know, as a branch saying like, hey, dead branch, look at me, sucker. Like, if you could just be more like me, you'd have fruit. I got apricots and bananas. Like, it's not that and a tire swing in my spare time. Not that, right? But it's, I was where you were. And this is what happens, right? We get to declare and demonstrate out of the fruit that's being born. And, and here's where I want to wrap up, okay? Here's where I want to wrap up. God wants for us to have maximum fruit. He really does. Uh, in verse two of John 15, he says, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So God is, is this vine dresser, remember, who's pruning the vine and the branches. Now pruning, if, if you are a branch, okay, that's painful because it's cutting off limbs. It's, it's taking out the shears and cutting off things, right? That hurts when things get cut off. But God is pruning in such a way not to, not to punish you, to be like, I told you if you didn't bear my fruit, I would cut you, right? It's, it's not to harm us. It's because he wants maximum fruit. So arborists or those who, who are in the pruning business, right? 
they want for trees to bear the most amount of fruit as possible. And do you know what pruning is in this illustration? Pruning is taking the branch and focusing it back on the vine. So the branch doesn't have this little narcissist mirror that he's looking at down in the ground. The branch gets turned back to see the vine. Ah, yes, this is why I'm bearing fruit. Ah, yes, I need you. Ah, I'm dependent for you. Ah, I've looked for life in other places. Ah, I'm so thankful that I get to be about you and I want you to change me. And when we, ask God, when we ask God to change us, he does. He begins the work of pruning. And I guarantee the work of pruning is not the way you think it's gonna happen, right? You have these bad ideas of, oh man, if I pray for this, God will answer this way. Probably won't. He'll answer you a way that is probably worse than that in your mind. He just doesn't let you think about that thing at that moment because he knows that it would, it would crush you in this moment. But God is such a kind dad that he would come prune us so that we would bear more fruit. And that fruit is really for him. And most often, here, here's the thing with the Western church that bothers me a lot, is that we oftentimes in the church don't give God the opportunity to prune us. Because we end up in a disagreement with someone in the church. And, and honestly, most people do not leave uh, a church because of theology. Almost no one. It's about relationship. It's about carpet color. And listen, we don't have any say over the carpet colors. They don't leave because of that, all right? Um, they leave, we usually leave churches over, over silly reasons. For some things, you should, right? If they're like, ah, we're not interested in the Bible anymore. We picked up Aesop's fables and we're gonna do that. Just get up and go. Take the bread with you um, as you're leaving. I don't, I don't know what you do. Uh, there are good reasons to leave a church, but that's not why most people leave the church. Not for doctrine or theology. It's because they have an interpersonal issue. And they're like, you know what? It's just easier for me to leave than to deal with this. And I'm gonna bring all my hurt and brokenness into the next church. Yay, there are lots of programs here. Um, and you bring all of that there. And then the same thing will happen and you're like, oh, I don't know, I think we should leave from this place too. When maybe God is saying, here's an opportunity for you to be pruned. Here's an opportunity for you to get to work through hard things with someone else so that you and them end up looking more and more like Jesus. There was an opportunity this week, uh, tensions. And I got to say to both people, man, I'm so excited for this because Jesus, you're gonna look more like Jesus at the end of this. This is gonna be beautiful, right? And if we can embrace that reality that God wants to transform us to look like him, then we'll embrace these opportunities of being pruned, Right, our spouse, if you're married, oftentimes uh, you're pruned a lot through them. Kids, right, I, I had to apologize. I had to wake my son up almost the other night because I said something mean to him and I'm sitting on the couch, like justified my anger. Why would he do that? You know, I talked to myself. Jess wasn't home, called me crazy. And, um, and I'm all upset and then the spirit said, that was, that was all out of anger. You were so mean to him. I said, ah, you're right. So I get to go back up and apologize to him. Now, what my son hopefully will grow up seeing is, ah, my dad repents. My dad owns when he's off. My dad's trying not to be perfect. But for me, okay, let me be about me for a second. For me, I'm like, God, Jesus, that was you. That wasn't me. I must be being made more to look like you. You might think, you got a long way to go. I know, I know I do, but like, it's, it's starting. 
It's starting because I want for what Jesus wants. And that's not from me. So don't leave the church. Work through hard things with the church because that's gonna be a testimony and a witness to a world that just constantly sees people leaving all the time. We'll talk about unity next week. Let me wrap it up with this. God is like a dad who keeps every drawing, craft, t-shirt, scribble, Insta video that his kids send him. Right? I get a plethora, and I'm not joking. We have to uh, recycle things, uh, right? Because my daughter would kill 300 trees a day in her drawings if we didn't, right? So we're just putting back. And so we're going to take a special offering this morning for my paper budget at home because uh, we're going broke. Uh, we're keeping the tape away from them, though, so that's good. Um, but I receive all these things, right? I come home from a trip, and it's like, Daddy, I made you all these things, right? And, and my heart is really overjoyed at that. And then it's like, okay, we're going to have to put these things away. But, but God the Father is like, oh, no. He has this, like, infinite refrigerator, that he has all these magnets that he keeps putting things onto because he's so delighted with our little offerings, right? So when we are mean to our child and we repent and we, there's fruit of the spirit showing, God is like, ah, oh, it goes in my fridge because that makes me proud because I'm doing that work through you and you're responding to it. Ah, that tension with that person. Instead of running away, you're resolving it. Ah, that goes on my fridge. That makes me proud. That looks like me. Oh, you know, this is where I think God gets teared up with joy. That he's overwhelmed in, in, in the best Trinitarian way possible at his children are looking like him. And ultimately this fruit is for him. And like a proud dad, he says, I don't want to keep all this fruit inside of a building. This is why like communes aren't good because it's like come into the thing, right? Let's protect ourselves from the world. God says, ah, I love this stuff so much that I want to display it for the world to see. I want to turn my refrigerator out so that the whole world can see the good deeds of my people that are a result of my work in them. He's this, he's this excited dad so excited about the fruit because it's for him. And do you know what he says to us? As, as I send Nehemiah and Malachi off to school every day, I remind them of who they are. Like, you're my son. There's nothing you can do uh, that will make me love you less or more. Today, I want you to go and live in this way. I want for you to tell people and show people about Jesus. I want for you to have fun and joy uh, him. And, and we do this, this whole little thing. Um, that's who God is, Yes. But there's a secondary thing to that, which I can't say to my kids. Here's what God says to us every day as he sends us off. He says, not only do I go with you, but I want for you to tell other orphans that there's a dad waiting to adopt them. Right, I can't my, send my sons off to school saying, hey, tell other kids that I'm a better dad than their dads, right? And I'd love to feed them pizza and show them movies and do all this stuff. Can't say that. That's not a good thing, right? Um, but that's what God does. 
He says, hey, everyone's looking for a father that's always going to be there for them, never going to leave them or bail out, going to be everything they're looking for, is going to lift their chin and say, I love you, I'm for you. I want to empower you to do things that you want to do because I gave you those desires to do these things, right? Everyone wants a dad that's going to be there for the hardest times. It's going to celebrate and be there for the best times. This is our dad, and he's an adopting dad whose adoption agency never closes. It's always open. And he says, you are my my advocates, my ambassadors to go to those who are fatherless and broken and weary and hurting and tell them that I am a good dad who loves them so much that I would send my one and only son to die in their place, rise him from the dead again so that he could bring many brothers and sisters into my house. Go and bear fruit. So finally, how do we see fruit How do we see fruit produced? There's no other way other than abiding and asking. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He will do it. He will do it. So there's two things. One, stay connected to to his people and to him. Abiding is, is being connected to him and his people. It's not like I'm my own branch out doing my own thing. It's all of us together. So how do we do that? Very simple. Very simple, yet difficult. Hear from him. Read his word. Pray. Ask him to speak to you. Ask the Spirit of God to lead you, to give you words, to give you wisdom, uh, to give you grace, to be louder than the voices around you. Right? Abiding is this relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, which also means prayer and the Word. But it also means community. Right? We have what we call city groups. I'll explain what those are at the end. Uh, for some of you, those don't work out at this stage of life, right? but we want to figure out how to help you be in community with people. Because it's not just enough for you and your relationship with Jesus or you and your friend or you and your spouse. You need others who can see into your life, who can encourage you, and, and we need you, right? Other people need you. That we need your gifts and your fruit. So stay connected to, to the Lord and to his community. And most times, almost every time I sit with someone in counseling, and they're like, man, I feel really disconnected from God. I say, okay, number one, uh, do you read his word? No, it's been a long time. Do you pray? Not very often before meals. Okay, um, have you asked the Holy Spirit uh, to change you and lead you? No, I haven't talked to the Spirit in a long time. Are you part of a city group? No, I'm too busy for that. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. And we just begin working through this. And almost every time when people are in the word, praying, asking the Spirit to lead them, and are connected with community, uh, we see minimal problems. We see minimal issues. It's, it's wild because people are abiding in the Lord and they're really being changed by him. So stay connected and, and finally stay commissioned. Stay commissioned to go and engage people. Go and engage the world. Get up before them, pray for them, beg for them, speak to them, show the hospitality of God to them because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We have no idea. And this isn't that creepy like, oh, here's where it gets weird. No, we just don't know. And, and almost all of my neighbors, right, their words are these dead branches that are not connected to Jesus. And they have no desire. So I'm praying that the Lord would give them a desire 
and that the, as I speak to them, that their hearts would be transformed. But we really are begging for God to rescue millions of people in this city. The only way that can happen is through the people of God abiding in him, bearing fruit, demonstrating, and declaring that he is alive. That's, that's it. It's very simple. And so we need that. And so I think that there's probably stuff that gets in the way of that. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. We're going to respond. Um, but before we respond through singing or anything, we're going to take a few minutes and say, what gets in the way of me abiding in you? So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you invite us into you, that you are the true vine, we are the branches. Father, you are the vine dresser. Oh, I want to abide in you all the time, and yet there's so many distractions and so many uh, things that look better than you often because I, I don't see things correctly. And I assume that that's true of all of us. So maybe some of us come in here and we're like, man, I'm nailing it at, at abiding, and that's amazing. Thank you, Lord, for that. But maybe there's some of us here saying, I do not abide. That is not characteristic of my life whatsoever. I go through motions. Uh, I, I'm literally not part of the vine yet because I don't trust in Jesus. Um, I play religion. I play moralism. I say all the right things. I, I look the part, but there's no life really moving in me. Lord, I pray today would be a day where you turn on the lights. I pray today would be a day where we would get to see how we can abide in you. This is a huge invitation that no sin stops us from entering into that abiding relationship and you're gonna change us to be just like you. So thank you for that. Thank you for that, that hope that you lay out for us. The city needs you. This province needs you. This, this nation needs you. This continent needs you. We pray for those who are affected in Las Vegas. I pray that there would be um, tons of people who meet you because of this horrific tragedy. That you turn sadness into joy. That's your thing. I pray that we would see ourselves properly this morning as your ambassadors to the city. And we love you, Jesus, and we need you for everything. Amen.